I was kind of wondering what kind of a church uh, uses a tattoo shop as the uh, introduction to their first series in the fall, and we're going to get back to that in a minute. Um, we're in this series. This is the third week in a row when we're covering uh, the series called Tattooed. Uh, Jeff began it when we were at the gathering on the UNI campus. Alice was here last week, and now I'm here today. And uh, we're focusing on a verse, uh, John 13, 34, and 35. And here's the verse. A new command I give you. This is Jesus. He's speaking. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you. There's the new part. Jesus is saying, you had the Old Testament, but now, as I've loved you, he's talking to his guys, so you must love one another. Just like that. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the apologetic, the reason for understanding who God is, Jesus is giving, is how's the world going to know? By your love for one another by your love for your neighbor, by your love for your enemy. Love is going to be the tattoo that people who are followers of me ought to wear. It ought to be right on their arm. It ought to be right on their shoulder. Hey, love, love. And it should be seen in actions. How's the good news going to be spread? How are people going to know who his disciples are? How, how are people going to know Jesus died for their sin? Jesus is their rescuer. How are they going to know? Love. Now, Jeff at the gathering also said there are other marks on us, if you open the scriptures, and we've got a slide on this, where uh, God said, hey, they're mine. Or these folks are eternal, ever-living, never-dying souls. We live in a body that dies, but who we are inside that body lives forever. Forgiven, rescued, redeemed, restored. We're just people who have been touched by and changed by God as we come to Christ. So that's a lot of tattoos. We're marked with those things. And now at Orchard, we're kicking this off with this series because this lines up with the mission we believe God has given us as a church. And here's our mission. Helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. So how are we going to encounter and follow Jesus? We're going to allow his love for us to mark how we love others. And then that's also the way we're going to bless a broken world. Last week, Alice taught, right in this service, um, she taught that like one of the ways you keep your tattoo bright is you learn as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, to listen well. Listen well. Listen in those quiet moments. Listen every morning. Listen to God. Today, my part of being a follower of Jesus is uh, called surrender. How do we surrender our lives to Jesus? But before we get to that, I want to I say a few words about tattoos. Jesus was famous about using things from his culture that kind of bugged religious people. Uh, why did he always heal so many people on the Sabbath? Because it got under the skin of the Jews. And he would even say, do you want me to heal the guy or you want him to be sick on the Sabbath? Which is more important, the man or the, or the, or the rule? And they would say, well, the rule's important. Jesus would go, forget them. I need to heal the guy, right? So, um, uh, so then I, when we were sitting around saying, hey, can we do a series on tattooing? I was saying, yes, that'll bug some people. Uh, that'll get under a little bit of skin here and there. And uh, the reason I know that 
is because for quite a few years, uh, years back, I had an attitude about tattoos. And I think some of you could still have my attitude towards tattoos. My attitude was this. Who would be so foolish to put something on their skin, uh, it's going to be there the rest of their life? Who would be that less than thoughtful? You know, that was my judgment, right? Some of you, some of you, a lot of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but uh, some of you do, and uh, kind of that attitude, and it, it's a foolish attitude, and we're not saying everybody should go get a tattoo by any means, but um, how do you know what you're going to want on your body, and how do you know how it's going to sag, and how do you know all that stuff? I, I, time changes, culture changes, uh, and um, what we have to understand is that uh, different folks, different strokes for different folks. And so one of my friends who's a pastor in Pella, his name is Kevin Corver. Um, he's a pastor in Pella. He's been a friend for a long time. His son, Kyle, is an NBA basketball player. He plays for the Bucks right now. But he has previously played for the Jazz and for the Bulls. And while he was playing for the Bulls, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. While he was playing for the Bulls, his dad went in and was in the locker room of the Bulls, and Kyle secretly knew he was going to get a cat tattoo or two. And he was the only one on the Bulls team that didn't have multiple tattoos. He didn't have any. His parents didn't believe in tattoos. You know, he was a pastor and all that. So uh, Kyle says to his dad, he teaches his dad something, and then his dad teaches me something, and I'm going to teach you this something. And uh, what's interesting is we need to learn from our kids. We need to keep learning from our kids. So Kevin, respected pastor, is learning from Kyle. And Kyle says this, Dad, rather than get mad at tattoos, what you ought to do is you ought to learn to ask people what they mean. And so Kevin thought, I'm going to try it. And he tried it, and it's amazing. And so then he came and said, Dave, you ought to try this. Just whenever you are with somebody and you want to ask them what their tattoo means. So I'm doing a wedding rehearsal in this room. And the guy I'm marrying is a part of a motorcycle gang. And these guys are like big and mean dudes, his party. And so we're doing the rehearsal and all that. And then all of a sudden I go, I'm going to try it. Because they had tattoos all over. And uh, so I take his best man. And I say to his best man, did I say he was big? And he looked mean. I was the smallest person on the stage. Uh, I said, you know that rose on your arm? What does it mean? It was an amazing lesson for me. He said, that rose was the favorite flower of my grandma. I was raised by my grandma. And when she died, I wanted to remember my grandma and honor her. So I put that rose on my arm. He said, my grandma means the world to me. She's been dead for like a year and a half now. Tear coming down his eye. I thought, wow, that's something. So since that time, I have been not having an attitude about tattoos. I've been seeing it as a way to like learn about people. So just Friday, I'm checking in a hotel. And the young lady who's checking me and registering me, after she gets all the registration done, I notice she has a tattoo right here on her arm. And so I say, uh, ma'am, uh, if you don't mind, what, what does your tattoo mean? I don't, I don't, I can't tell what it is. She says, well, that's the phoenix. And I put it on my arm when I was 29 years old. 
because I needed a new start in my life. And she went on to tell me about this new start that she needed. Wow. That's something. I had another pastor friend who was a pastor across town here for, uh, I mean, he was in his church for 40 years. His name was uh, Homer Larson. Some of you would know Homer. Uh, he uh, and I worked together a lot, and uh, we didn't always agree strategically, but we, we were friends. And uh, he went to visit his granddaughter out east. She was in Boston. And that year, her, his granddaughter had got a piercing and a tattoo. And so he was there for a while. He was there for a while. And then all of a sudden, he goes, I, I just can't stand it. I got to tell you, this doesn't make sense to me. Why would you do this? And this granddaughter, who I think was a junior in high school, looked at her grandpa and said, Grandpa, you know what doesn't make sense to me? Is that tie you're always wearing. It makes no sense. Does it feel good? Do you like it? Does it mean anything? And that question from his granddaughter caused him to think and go, huh, interesting. I guess different strokes for different folks. I guess we should all live and love each other and learn from each other. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so surrender. That's, so the reason I bring that up is some of you might have one or different attitudes that need to be surrendered uh, as you're learning to be a follower of Christ. Uh, here's the verse, Matthew 10, 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What does that verse say? It says, if you think you can grab onto your life and control it and make it what you want it to be, you're going to lose it. But if you understand that if you surrender it and lose it for my sake, you'll find it. This is a promise to followers of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. He's saying, you feel like your nature is, you can grab onto your life and you can make happen what you need to happen. And you don't need to surrender. You can grab it. And he says, if you live that way, do you know what happens? You lose your life. But if you understand that you actually can't control anything important in your whole life, you can't. You can't control anything important in your whole life. Really important. And if you learn to surrender that, then you're going to find life in me. So you need a way to surrender. I, I first learned this when our twins were born. Uh, you know, four, they had their 43rd birthday yesterday. So 43 years ago yesterday, we had twins born in the hospital. And the doctor came out and he said, your, your daughter might live, your son might not. We're putting them on a helicopter. They're going to another hospital. That night I delivered our other two kids and I sat in a bathroom and I cried because I realized the most important thing in the world right then was my twins living and I actually had absolutely no control. And some of you have understood that about life. There are things going on that absolutely matter, and you have no control. No control. And Jesus said, realize this and understand that your life is about surrender. Now, there are people in the Bible who didn't get this, right? So I wanted to list one. It was on our daily scriptures just last week. It's, it's uh, 
It's Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. We have a slide on this. The first verses from the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God's saying, hey, here's what I want you to do. And what does Jonah do? He does just the opposite. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship in the port. He bought a ticket and uh, he went aboard and he sailed in the opposite direction. He said, I know what's better for my life. I know what I ought to do. And I'm going to do that. And again, Jesus said, that's not the way to live. Um, and obviously, you know the story of Jonah, many of you. And uh, uh, it didn't work out the best for him at that point, And he followed, uh, he ended up following what God had wanted for him anyway. Surrender is giving up to God putting God in his rightful place. And uh, about 17 years ago, I thought I learned this lesson. Our church was, in 2002, our church was going through some stuff. I call it the train wreck of our church. Uh, our elders call it the pruning. We lost uh, 120 really good people who kind of... Uh, we're frustrated at the direction we were heading as a church and frustrated at me. And so every morning on my way to work, I would go to the dock at George With Lake. And I would walk out at the end of the dock, one of the docks there, and I would talk with God every morning. And I would actually surrender uh, the church. Uh, my son was an intern on staff here. I'd surrender him. I would surrender, uh, you know, uh, my future, the work and all that. I'd surrender it all. And I'd actually do it out loud, letting go of it with my hands. And then I'd go, okay, good, I'm ready for my day. And I would turn around, and by the second step, I had it back. I was taking it with me. So then I'd turn around. I'd do it again, louder. Now imagine the fishermen over there. I literally had this spiritual war with God on the deck. And I did it morning after morning after morning. You know, a couple months. Every morning that I came into work, I did this. I just surrendered. And I had to do it every day. And that's the way it is with surrender. It's not something you do once. You do it every day until it's gone, until you trust him. And uh, what I want to say is there are huge chunks of things we need to surrender. And there are tiny daily moments we need to surrender. Let's talk about the huge chunks first. Uh, when you have a baby, and you hold that baby in your hands for the first time, and you realize this deep love you have that God put in your heart, and then you realize they have a heavenly father that loves them more than you do, and then what do you have to do? This is baptism or dedication. What are you actually doing? You're releasing your child to its heavenly father and saying, God, I trust you with this little one. Now, those of us who have raised kids, we get that you have to do it over and over and over, and then they learn to drive, and you got to do it again, and then they uh, go off to college, and you have to do it again, and then they have their own baby, and you have to do it again, right? It's a lifetime lesson surrendering uh, to God. 
that chunk of having a baby. My wife and I, we've had to do it with our marriage. We, we kind of got married in, early in college, and we didn't really consult God a lot. We just liked each other, loved each other. And so we got married, and then later we realized, man, we need to surrender this to God. And so we did. We surrendered it to God. We, on standing on a hill at a Bible conference one night, we just said, but, but over and over and over and over again in our lives, we've had to surrender that big chunk to God. Some of us are in the process of learning to surrender our money to God by giving back some of it. And for some of us, that's a tough uh, lady out in the lobby was just telling me, uh, Dave, I'm, I, I, I don't do surrender the way you do. She said, I keep one hand closed. I surrender part. And some of us are there with, with money. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm learning. But in the world of surrender, I just want to say this about giving and understanding God would like you to give back to him some of your money. The reason I want to hit this is surrender is the kindergarten. Uh, money is a kindergarten class in surrender. That's not a loved one. That's not a parent on their deathbed. This is like money, is it's only money. Learning to surrender money is kindergarten to surrender because you're going you're gonna to um, be forced by God and the circumstances of this broken world to surrender a lot of things that are more dear to you than money. And one of the things that happens with surrender, as you learn and practice surrender, you get better at it. After the 2002 train stuff and uh, train wreck in the church and all that, I actually thought I was an expert at surrender. Oh, so foolish. I would go to churches and teach about surrender and talk about opening my hands and on the dock and how I still had it. And I taught this church several times. And then in 12 years later, uh, my son and two grandchildren were killed in Florida in a car wreck. And I'm driving to Florida, and I realize I don't know the first thing about surrender. I don't know how to surrender this circumstance to God. I, I've been practicing surrender. I've been surrendering my money for 50 years. I've been surrendering the church for 17 years at that time. And when God gave me a new lesson in surrender, man, Dave, surrender this. And then I sat with my mom in hospice the next year. And I watched her move towards surrender of her life. I thought, wow, this is deep. This is, this is something. This is being a follower of Jesus means we learn to surrender the little quiet daily moments and the big stuff. So let's talk about the daily stuff now. Um, sometimes you have an appointment and you're on your way to your appointment, whether it's, you know, an agent of yours or maybe it's a family member or maybe it's a child or a parent. You're on your way and you don't know how it's going to go. And so on the way you say, I don't know how this is going to go, God. You take it. I don't, uh, it happens to me, uh, parents often want me to meet with their teenage children who are you know, acting out or need some help or something. So on the way with that teenager now, on the way, I'm just surrendering like crazy. God help me. I have no clue how to do this. I have no clue. Some of you get an email, and it pushes a button in you, and you need to take a breath and surrender. 
before you write your reply. Because if you write it in your own self, it's not going to be the right thing. But you need to take a breath and surrender. These daily moments of surrender. Someone uh, comes into your uh, office or your classroom, and they say something that pushes a button. You need to take a breath, inside surrender, and see how God, remember, how's the world going to know that Jesus is the Christ? We love one another. Surrender. Uh, I'm driving with my grandkids somewhere, and it's mostly chaos, and then all of a sudden comes a key question, and I want to give the right answer. Surrender, God, help me. Help me know what the right answer is. Because you're God, I'm not. Here's just checks. A couple of uh, thoughts about surrender that I bring along the way. Uh, number one, uh, never st- we never stop learning to surrender. We never stop learning to surrender until the final surrender, which is when we say to God, God, take me. I watched my mom do it. At first, she's like wanting to hang on to life. She's wanting to experience more life here. And then all of a sudden, she says, Dave, I'm ready now. I'm ready for heaven. She surrendered. Jesus did it on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hey, I'm thirsty. And what was the final thing he said on the cross? Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He modeled it for us. I've been in the presence of several of our folks who are dying of cancer. And they fight, 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 go to Mayo, go to Iowa City, fight, 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 fly to Venice, you know, wherever they're getting their treatment. And then they come to a point where they go, I'm ready now. It's time to surrender. I'm going to go on living, but my body is going to stop. Uh, Number two, it requires humility and trust. We have to know who God is. We have to deeply know he's trustworthy. Number three, it's not about your feelings. You can't wait for your feelings to be right before you intentionally surrender. When you get that email and you're just mad, don't wait for your feelings to settle down. Just say to God, whisper, hey, I surrender this. Help me do it right. Help me do it in a way that honors you. Number four here, knowing God's presence and feeling his distance. Both things happen when we surrender. When, uh, when you surrender, you feel his presence, you feel his love. At the same time, God is so much different than us that I don't get what he's doing. And that feels distant. So when our family uh, died on the highway in Florida... I believe God's love is here. I believed he loved them. I believe he loved me. But I don't get what he's doing. Right? Both are true at that moment of surrender. It doesn't matter whether you're surrendering a baby, just that they would live their life for Jesus. It doesn't matter. You just, uh, uh, in one sense, you know his presence. In another sense, you know his distance. And then what about this God? Can we trust him? Yes, we can trust him. Yes. Uh, Here's my verse this summer. Uh, It's from 1 Corinthians 2. It says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has imagined the things that God has prepared 
for those who love him. Let me say that again. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You can trust God. He's trustworthy. Okay, I'm going to end with a poem. This is a poem I've loved for a long time. I've uh, probably read it uh, a couple times in the services over the, my years here, but uh, I love this poem. It's about going on a tandem bike ride with Jesus. It's about surrender. When I first met Jesus, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride. Uh, but it was a tandem bike. And I noticed that Jesus was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it happened, but he suggested we change places. As I followed Jesus, he wanted to be in the front. But life has not been the same since. When I had control of the front, I knew the way. It was rather boring but predictable. Uh, it was the shortest distance between two points, and it was usually safe. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts. Up mountains, through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. And even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and I was anxious and I asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and he didn't answer. And I started to learn to trust on the back of that bike. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, joy. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight, so I did. I gave them to the people we met along the way. And I found that in giving, I received. And still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. It felt like he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it bend to turn sharp corners. He knows how to jump to clear high rocks. He knows how to fly to short and scary passages. And I am learning to shut up and to pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face, faith, face with my delightful constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do it anymore, he smiles and says, pedal, pedal, just keep pedaling. Being a follower of Jesus means we sit on the back of the bike and we surrender to his leading. And we do it with big chunks and we do it with little moments. And I don't know what it is you're sitting here with. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a future employment issue. I don't know what it is you need to surrender. But whatever it is, trust him. Trust him. He can lead you. He can do it. God is trustworthy. I'll pray. Dear God, thank you so much for uh, being a God who is trustworthy, a God who we can like uh, try out your faithfulness, and you are faithful. You are good. You are uh, both our friend and beyond us. Uh, we worship you, and Father, we want to surrender as much as possible so that uh, we can love other people 
in your power so that we can be marked by your love so that our life can be all that you want it to be. Help us surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.